We're going to be looking all over Scripture this morning, starting in Deuteronomy, heading to Isaiah, and then to John as we look at Advent this morning. We're going to be taking a pause from our Philippians series and looking at the gifts of Christmas. It's historically the case that the, the church has looked at Christ as fulfilling the three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to see how Jesus this morning is a gift to us at Christmas as the prophet that our hearts have always been looking for. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me. That's one of the things that basically every prophet says at the beginning and throughout his ministry, is that the word of the Lord came to me. And it was regularly the case in Israel that all of Israel needed a prophet, but hardly any of Israel wanted a prophet. In fact, to be a prophet was a very lonely calling, and it was likely the fact that if they celebrated the holidays, they celebrated alone because nobody wanted to be around a prophet. Um, a prophet was not a grumpy person, uh, nor did a prophet spend all of their time simply just predicting the future. A, a prophet spent a lot of their time speaking to God's people. They were God's commissioned spokesperson to speak on God's behalf to the people. It's one of those things where this morning I want to step back and talk about how we should hopefully want Christ to be a prophet in our lives, to be the prophet that speaks to our hearts. When I was younger at, at home, when we would celebrate Christmas with my family, my twin brother, my sisters, my mom and dad, when I was at home in the morning on Christmas morning, I would, I would get some of the presents that I wanted. All those things I wanted. I remember one year it was a new teddy bear. Another year it was Bengals gear because I love the Cincinnati Bengals. Another year it was a Nintendo. It had Super Mario and Duck Hunt. Some of you remember those days. But that's when I got things that I wanted. But then in the afternoon, we either travel two hours to Lafayette, Indiana, or six hours to Havana, uh, Illinois. And there's where I would get all the things that I needed like pants and socks. One year I got a tie and tried to be really excited about that. But that's when I got all the things that I, that I needed. And sh sure enough, I was thankful for those things, but I, I really enjoyed the morning where I got the things that I wanted. And, and here's, in some ways, what I would say this morning is a, a gospel win for all of us here in this room. If, if you walk away from this morning, after we look at these texts and you say, okay, I recognize that I need a prophet. That's a win. That, that you need Christ as the one who came at Christmas to be the prophet in your life. But I want to go further than that. I hope that if you're writing out your Christmas list, it's not just you recognize that you need a prophet, but then in your hearts you would see it like Christmas morning that you want a prophet to speak to you God's word. And to actually be God's presence in your life as, as, as we celebrate Christ as Emmanuel at Christmas. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to see how, how prophets, they accurately diagnose your heart. They beautifully reveal the heart of God. And then we'll see how Jesus Christ is the gift of a prophet to you at Christmas. Let's give our hearts attention to God's word um, of which you can see there in your bulletin. Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, 
from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire, fire any more, lest I die. The prophet Isaiah declared to the people in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And lastly, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. God's word which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to your word this morning. And unlike so often in the Old Testament where nobody listened to your prophets, help us listen this morning to your word. Holy Spirit, open our ears and our eyes to hear and see great things out of your word, especially our Emmanuel. Jesus, the one who came to save us from our sins at Christmas. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the reasons you should not only recognize that you need a prophet at Christmas, but hopefully want one, is because the prophet comes along to rightly diagnose your heart. Now, I know this is the case. I know in our own family for about two weeks, at least one or a few in our family have had some sniffles and some coughs and some congestion. And uh, it's been nothing more than we think of cold, something like that. But just imagine if, if you think you merely have a cold, you're convinced that all, is it, it, all it is, but then you meet with a doctor who really knows his or her stuff, and they go, listen, this is not just a cold. Let's run some tests. And they run some tests, and they find out it kind of presents itself as a cold, but it's actually a terminal illness. You'd be grateful that that doctor came along so that they could talk to you and tell you accurately and adequately what was going on inside of you. You know, all Israel, in their young days, all the way throughout their lives, are taught from the scriptures that there's this reality in this world called sin. But much of Israel, when the prophets were talking to them, would think, well, we know we're sick, it's just a little cold. And the prophets would come in as a gift from God and say it's, it's more than that. It's much deeper than you think. And so one of the things that the prophets would, would constantly warn God's people of inside of their hearts is, is our tendency towards idolatry. Um, it comes not simply as a criticism, but the, the, the gift of truth coming to us so that we can deal with what's going on inside. They, they diagnose our tendency towards idolatry. Uh, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, He's known as the weeping prophet. He says in Jeremiah chapter 2, he, he talks about the God who is life, that they've turned from the one who is living waters. And they've tried to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is, in their tendency towards idolatry, and my tendency and yours, it's to turn from the one who is life itself. And to try to turn to anyone or anything or any experience to try to get life out of that. 
And Jeremiah as a prophet is looking around and goes, there's this tendency in your hearts towards idolatry that tries to find life and security and satisfaction and joy in anyone or anything apart from the one who is life and joy and security and satisfaction. And Jeremiah says it's never going to work. You're never going to find it. But Israel is constantly searching for that thing that will fill them. It's like in some ways a child at Christmas. Let's say you're like me when I was eight years old. And I desperately wanted Super Mario. And I wanted a Nintendo. And I get the Nintendo that comes with Super Mario and Duck Hunt and the special guns too. I don't even look at my mom and dad. I just take it. I move out of the house, I go somewhere else, and all I do 24 hours a day is play Nintendo with Super Mario, and I never talk to my parents again. In some ways, that's a childish example of what idolatry is. It wants the gifts that God can give, but it doesn't want God. It says, I want this life apart from you, but I don't want life with you. And the prophets will come and rightly diagnose our hearts and say there's a tendency in all of our hearts towards idolatry. But not just that. They'll come along and say that there's a tendency in all of our hearts not only towards idolatry, but towards religiosity. You see this in almost all of the prophets. They're, they're criti critiquing Israel, uh, coming to the temple, uh, worshiping, offering sacrifices, and they say, listen, you're worshiping God with your mouth. But your heart is not in it. You're going through the motions. And, and there's two reasons for this. You're either going through these religious ritual motions to either get something from God, right? If you press the right buttons, pull the right levers, he's going to give me what I really want. It's not him, but it's what he can give me. And religion is just the means through which I can mechanically walk through it and get what I want. And the prophets are saying it, it doesn't work that way. God is simply worthy of your worship, not so you can get something. Or religiosity, not just for the sake of trying to get something from God mechanically, but religiosity to cover over a lifestyle that we know is not pleasing to him. All right, well, I know Monday through Saturday I do all of these things, and I really could care less about God, but to try to cover it all up, I'm a little bit religious. And the prophets will say it doesn't work like that. In some ways, it's almost like the kid who, maybe around the Christmas season, really wants some kind of gift. Who knows what it is? Uh, they're used to coming home and saying how they want this and they want that. And they're not really helpful. But during Christmas season, oh, they want to help wash dishes. And they're cleaning the room. They're even offering to clean the bathroom. They're asking to take care of the pets. And you're like, what has happened to this kid? Well, in some ways, it's I'm, I'm trying to be, do all the right things so I can make sure I get my number, at least my number one and my number two thing on my Christmas list, right? But that's really the only thing that's driving that. And the prophets will come along and say, not only do you have a tendency towards idolatry, but also towards religiosity that we think if we just do the right things, God will give us what we rightly deserve. And the prophets critique that in our hearts. And the prophets also diagnose our hearts and say not just a tendency towards idolatry and religiosity, but also apathy. The prophets are constantly saying, listen, this God delivered you out of Egypt in his power and his strength. And the Israelites are just sitting there going, yeah, 
where's the eggnog? I mean, they, they could care less. Or they're saying, listen, God in his love is coming to you. He's going to visit you. He's going to dwell among you. And again, they're sitting there kind of yawning, going, when's Home Alone on? I can't wait to watch that. I mean, is it 6.30 or is it 7? Because that's what's really important, right? It's this relationship with the living God. And they don't really care. Apathy. And even this morning, God's word comes to us, and maybe it diagnoses that in your heart this morning. A tendency towards idolatry. That you're trying to find life. And someone or something other than the one who is life. Or religiosity, just trying to do the right things in order to get the things you really want. Or apathy of just, yeah, yeah, I know this is kind of important, but I'd rather be doing this. And a faithful prophet will come and he'll diagnose all of that ultimately as a heart of stone. That's what the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 11, chapter 16, and chapter 36, that we have hearts of stone. And I love it that the prophet in joy also comes along. It doesn't just say, here's the diagnosis, but also with great joy says, God is the kind of God who loves to give a new heart. If your heart has this tendency towards idolatry and religiosity and apathy, he loves to give new hearts. He's actually going to promise that he will. Ezekiel chapter 36, I will take out the heart of stone and your flesh. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take out the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And the prophets are saying that day is coming. Where he'll do heart surgery on you. He'll give you the new heart that you need. If you knew you were dying of a terminal spiritual sickness and someone offered you a new heart, you wouldn't only need that for Christmas. Oh, you'd really want that for Christmas. Someone is willing to give me a new heart. But it's not just that they rightly diagnose your heart. Prophets also beautifully reveal God's heart. They beautifully reveal God's heart. That's why we should not only need a prophet for Christmas, but also want a prophet for Christmas, that a prophet can reveal the heart of God to you. And it's bigger and more beautiful than you could ever think. Let me put it this way. Let's say you might be a high school student or a college student, or maybe just someone who enjoys art. And you have seen a painting by Claude Monet in a book. If you remember, it's called The Water Lilies. You go, man, this impressionism is, is beautiful. I would, I would love to have that painting in my room. I'd love to have a, a poster of it, something that could show me this, this beauty. And you look at this, you think it's wonderful, you ask your mom or dad for it, or a friend for Christmas. And so you're like, great, maybe I'll have this poster in my room of the water lilies by Claude Monet. You're getting excited. Christmas morning comes. And it's really strange. You can see three massive semi-trucks parked in your front yard. Okay, you're looking under the Christmas tree. You don't see any kind of gift that looks like a poster. And you ask your mom and dad, why those semis here? Well, you should go check them out. Go open up the back. 
And so you go outside, you open up the back of the semi, and you know what it is? It's not a copy, it's the real thing. I don't know if you know this, but Claude Monet's water lilies, the painting, the canvases are actually over 300 feet long. It takes an entire building just to house them. They're about 300 feet long by about 12 feet high. That's how big they are. You could only fit them by about three semi-trucks. And the pants are saying, we didn't just want to get you the poster. We got you the real thing. We added on a huge part of our house so that we could house them on the back part of the lot. And you're just sitting there in awe. You thought it was just this picture in a book or a poster you could put up in your room and your parents go, no, no, no. Let's get the real thing. And you realize it takes semi-trucks to bring them in. Listen, the prophets are coming to Israel and most of them have such a small, limited, inadequate, and inaccurate view of who God is. And the prophets come in and give the gift of a more adequate and accurate view of the living God. And the first thing that they will show to God's people is that he is more holy than you think. As they paint a picture to God's people, he is more holy than they think. That's why there was a desire for distance at the very beginning with Israel. God comes down on, on Mount Sinai. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's earthquake, there's fire. Because he is holy and he's dwelling on Mount Sinai with his people. And the people hear him talking and everything is shaking. And they say, stop talking to us. You can see this in Deuteronomy that we read earlier. It says, you desire, Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. So God appoints prophets. Okay, okay if, you, if, you, if I'm so holy that it terrifies you, I still need to speak to you. So here's the gift of a prophet. And a prophet will continue to tell you about me. But even the fact that prophets exist show Israel that God is holier than they think he is. The prophets not only are there to show God's presence and give his word, but they also describe his majesty to give them a bigger view of God's holiness. Isaiah will say in Isaiah chapter 57, Behold, thus says the one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Thus is the one who dwells in a high and lofty place. He is more holy than you think, Israel. Or Isaiah's calling at the very beginning of his ministry in Isaiah chapter 6. He's given this vision and he sees the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his majesty, they say. And Isaiah describes it, it says that the, th- the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I cried out, woe is me, for I am undone. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The prophets show to Israel and to all of us that God is holier than we think. Also, not only that, the response of creation, the prophets say that when God draws near, mountains shake and tremble and everything melts. 
They use this imagery and metaphor to say he's holier than you think. All of creation trembles. And then they get personal and say that the law is an expression of God's holiness. And if you've broken the great king's law, the expression of his holiness comes out in curse. And the prophets, out of love, are sent by God to warn of that expression of God's holiness. But the prophets do want God's people to see his holiness as beautiful. But not only that, God is more holy than they could ever think. He's also more merciful than they could ever imagine. That's another reason for the prophets to come not only paint a picture that's bigger than we can imagine of God's holiness, but also to paint a picture that's larger than we could ever think of God's mercy. And you see this in the prophet's constant invitation to come home. They keep on saying turn or return. Another way to translate it is repent. But it means to turn around. You're running away from God. He's inviting you to come back home. You see this especially in the prophet Malachi. He's the last prophet of the Old Testament. God's people were so corrupt and so sinful, he sends them off into exile to refine and purify them. They come back, and even having been refined by exile, he'll even say that they were worse off than they were before, still doing the same old things. And the first way that God speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi in Israel is this. It's shocking. Oh, how I have loved you. Would that be your first words? And then he says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. But come home you'll find my arms wide open to welcome you and coming to embrace you and bring you in. We see his mercy in the constant invitations to come home to God's people. Also the constant declarations of God's eagerness to forgive. The prophets will say things like this, Isaiah chapter 30, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. I mean, in your worst moment, your darkest season, your most rebellious point, the prophet says this to you, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. And hearing that, wouldn't that make you go, I get, it'd be safe to go home. Or Micah chapter 7, verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast our sin into the depths of the sea. And then they'll start promising things. They'll say, God's going to give you a new heart, a new spirit. He'll make a new covenant. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. New, new, new. The prophets love describing that. Just to read the end of Isaiah when he starts talking about the new heavens and new earth. The mercy of God's invitations to come home. The mercy of God's declarations to forgive. The promised substitution that God says is coming. 
The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, he says, but he was wounded. He's talking about the coming Messiah for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brings us peace. By his stripes were healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, the The prophets are saying, you think he's merciful. You don't even know how big and beautiful his mercy is. And not just substitution, but last, there's the promised incarnation. You see this again in verse 15 and 16 of Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. That's Moses talking. From among you, from your brothers, he will be an Israelite. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, ultimately predicting the incarnation of Christ. When the disciples and the apostles are preaching in Acts chapter 3, they mention that comment by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. They say, you know how God promised that a He would rise up a prophet from among us. He was talking about Jesus. The prophets are there to to paint a picture for you, to back in the semi-trucks and say, unload the canvases. The beauty of God's holiness is enormous. He's more holy than you think. The beauty of his mercy is enormous. He's more merciful than you could ever dare imagine. And then something happens. Amidst all of these diagnoses of these hearts, amidst all these descriptions of God's holiness and mercy, God's people still don't listen. And so in Amos chapter 8, one of the things that God says is there will be a famine of God's word. That he would no longer send prophets among them. So many of you know this story. It's 400 years of silence from the closing of Malachi all the way up to the New Testament. And so the Israelites are wondering, God's people are saying things that maybe you and I have asked in our lives, God, where are you? Silence. God, have you forgotten your promises that you've made to us? Silence. God, do you care about what I'm going through right now? You haven't spoken in a long time. 400 years of silence. And then, on a night where there's lots of stars out and there are animals around, all of a sudden you hear a baby crying. And that baby crying is God speaking. This is the prophet that all the prophets pointed to. This is the word that all of their words predicted. And his name is Jesus. And so Jesus is the gift of a prophet at Christmas. Hopefully not only that you recognize that you need, but also that you want. So let me walk through just a few points of things that we've already covered. Jesus is now at Christmas the gift for you of a prophet who came to give the new heart that the previous prophets only promised. 
In other words, he's saying Isaiah, Ezekiel, and all those prophets, they promised new, and Ezekiel promised a new heart. He could only say it. I'm here to give it. I'm the prophet who not only speaks of the need of a new heart, but also will give it to you when you ask. Merry Christmas. If you saw his bag full of gifts that's just absolutely enormous and you took a a peek inside, it would be a brand new heart for anyone who would ask of him. And he loves to give that gift out. He's not only the prophet who came to give the new heart that previous prophets promised, he's the prophet who not only calls you to come home, but the prophet who came to bring you home. Isn't that beautiful? He's not the prophet who says, come home. He is the prophet who came to say, I am the word of God and I've come to bring you home. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God promises, I will seek the lost and I will gather back the strayed. Now, Jesus could not talk like an adult when he was a baby in that manger. But if you ask someone who knew the scriptures, hey, why is that little child here? Lying in a manger. Well, he's coming to seek the lost. And he's coming to gather back the strayed. He's the prophet who not only calls you to come home, he's the prophet who came to bring you home. He is the word from God that came to fulfill the word of God for you. I love how in verse 1 of John it says, In the beginning was the word. Remember how the prophet said the word of the Lord came to me? The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. You know, prophets were what we call covenant prosecutors. They would say, you've fallen short, you've broken the law. They would critique and then they would warn of curse. Jesus is the prophet who not only came to warn of the curse, but he's the one who came to bear the curse. And he's the one who not only said of the importance of the law, he's the one who came to fulfill the law on your behalf. He is the word of God. He's the word from God that came to fulfill the word of God for you. Merry Christmas, right? What a gift that he would come. And he is the prophet who not only reveals God's heart, But he is the incarnation of the heart of God. What is God like? We'll look at Jesus in a manger. He is that holy. I love how Mary says at one point, she says this, Mary, when she's rejoicing in Jesus coming, when the angel told her, she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. But she knows that Jesus is not only the incarnation of God's holiness, but Jesus is the incarnation of God's mercy to you. It's one of those things, remember how a prophet signaled distance from God? That God would speak, they were terrified, so a prophet spoke on God's behalf. As long as there was a prophet, there was distance. It's almost like you you have this, let's just say this grandma that you love, and every Christmas when you got together, there was this cell phone sitting on a table, and grandma would just go, hello, everybody, from the cell phone. Hi, grandma. And just like every year, you have this cell phone, and like you can hear her voice, but you're like, I wish grandma would just come for Christmas. 
But you can always hear her heart. I'm so glad that you got that for Christmas. I love you so. And it's just cell phone. And it's like, it's great because it's grandma, but it's not grandma. Enough about grandma. The prophets were great because they were the word of God. But the prophets were not God. There was distance. But when Jesus comes, he is both the word of God and God. No more distance. He has come personally as a gift to you. And so this morning, we could very much the same way say, you know how Paul will take the general, Christ Jesus died for sinners? That's general. But then by faith, he makes it personal. And he says, Jesus loved me, and he gave himself for me. At Christmas, you could say, the word of the Lord came to us. And that would be true, but it would be general. Or by faith, you could make it personal and say the same things that the prophets did. The word of the Lord at Christmas, he came to me and he gave me the gift of an accurate diagnosis of my heart and he gave me a new one. He gave me a gift of a better, bigger, and more beautiful vision of the character of God, that God is holier than I could ever dream, and he is more merciful than I could ever dare imagine. And he gave that God to me. And he came at Christmas to accomplish that. And so hopefully, as you think about your Christmas list, and you think about Christ as fulfilling the office of a prophet, you recognize not only that you need him, like when I would get a pair of pants or some socks from Grandma, but that you want him more than anything else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that came to the prophets and how the prophets spoke of another one who would come and who would not only be the word of God, but would be God himself in our flesh as a little child in Bethlehem in a manger, come to fulfill the word of God for us on our behalf. Father, help us receive this Christ, this Jesus, as the word from you, your word to us, and the gift of a prophet, priest, and king, and savior to us at Christmas. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.